Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. How is everybody this morning? Merry Christmas to you. Uh, My name is Jordan Frazier. I am the church planning resident here at ICC. I hope your Christmas season is off with a bang. I I think we, we come to church a lot of times to try to be in unity, but what I'm about to do is probably gonna ruffle some feathers, okay? I just need you to be brave. How many people decorated for Christmas before Thanksgiving? Can I see a, a, a hands? Okay, we got to put them on the list. All right. Um, how, many, how many people did it before October 31st? Okay, we're all right. I was about to ask, were there anyone that was celebrating like Christmas in July? Because sometimes you get some of those people and that's, that's when it gets a little hairy, okay? Um, I, hope, I hope more than anything that uh, you are walking in some joy in this season as we enter into the Advent season, as we enter into Christmas. Uh, just me personally, I just want to tell you where I've been in this last season. I'm so grateful. I think that this fall, as we study through the book of Lamentations, it's really allowed me to, to look deep inside at some of the, the pains, the hurts, the, the darkness that I've carried with me, some of the trauma that I've carried with me, and to be able to bring that to the Lord. And I hope, I hope the same is true for you and our heart as we move out of Lamentations and into this Christmas season, is not just to have you dwell in those spaces of pain or dwell in those spaces of difficulty or those spots of wondering where God is, but to ultimately to give you hope that because Jesus is who he says he is and because God is a great father and has give, given us the greatest gift in Jesus, we can have true hope that he can bring us out of any of these types of darkness. And so today we kick off out of darkness, which I'm super excited about. And I hope you're ready. I hope you got some notes and a pen, all that. We're going to go through a lot today because to get us ready for understanding Christmas, that first Christmas and what happened, we really have to go backwards a long ways to do some catch up and figure out where we are. So if you're, if you're somewhat academic this morning, I hope this like tingle some of your nerves. I hope this gets you firing and ready to go. That way you can maybe learn something new this morning. Maybe, maybe you already know it and you need some refreshers. I think that the thing that's true for me and the thing that I think I believe is this. In the room today, there are probably some of you who are reared up and ready to go for Christmas. You've been that way uh, since the jump. For me, it's, uh, it's kind of like once I eat that last Thanksgiving like plate, at, at dinner, like, and I'm done. I'm like, all right, bring on Christmas. We can do this, right? Let's, let's go. So it, do, it doesn't take much for me to get that spark of joy, that spark of like, I feel in the spirit for Christmas. And some of you may be like that. You may be so, you know, anticipating and awaiting what God will do this Christmas and, and the joy of that season. But I think in this room as well, there may be some of you, and I've been in this place some seasons too, where it's like, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to be joyful. I'm not ready to be happy. Uh, I'm not ready to walk in 
the joy of this season because of my current circumstances in life. And what I want to tell you this morning is like, you're welcome in this space. Because more than anything, what I want to do is I want to bring those two groups of people together. And I want to answer the question, why is it that we can have joy? Why is it that we can be in a place where we can look and have hope for what God will do? So whether you're already there and you're wondering, I wonder why I'm like this. Or whether you say, I don't know if I'm ever going to get there. I just want you to know, like, lean in today because I think what we talk about today will give you an answer to the question of what does it take to, to get my heart and myself ready for Christmas. Sound good? All right. So <clears throat> the first thing we have to do is we have to go back a ways. And I want to paint the picture for you about what God does with his people throughout the biblical narrative, okay? So I just want to give you a brief overview. These are just like bullet points of things that we've seen God do with his people from the very beginning, because we've got to go all the way back to know why it was so important that he did what he did the first Christmas, okay? So when we uh, go back on the screen, you'll see this. It's just some bullet points. We know this. Uh, we know that in Genesis 1, he created man and woman in his image, right? And he created them and separated them actually from all other creation because he, get, he put his very image upon them, which is something so unique to, to uh, mankind that he didn't give it to anyone else. He, he gave God's image to man and woman and set them apart, okay? He then, uh, later on in Genesis, he spoke directly to Noah. Most of you know this story, right? Noah and his family are faithful, they're righteous, they're walking in righteousness, the world is not. And God speaks to Noah and he tells him to do what? Go build this boat. He's gonna save his people. He's out of mercy for them and his family. Later on in Genesis 12, he makes a covenant with Abraham. He tells Abraham what? I will make you the father of many nations, right? And your people, will, your descendants will be, do you remember? As many as the what? Stars in the sky. We keep going and we see that God continued to rescue his people. He did it in, when he rescued his people from Egypt in Exodus chapter 14. Remember this, Moses, um, they're at the Red Sea, it parts. They go through, the Egyptians that are followed swallows them up, they die. The people are saved from slavery and they're brought into freedom. In Joshua, he gives them the promised land. All through uh, the first part of Joshua, you see they, they walk into the promised land because of God's promise for them. Not by anything that they could do on their own, but because God was leading them, right? Time after time, you have uh, the conquer of Canaan, you got the, the fall of the walls of Jericho. All these things God is with his people doing. We see then he raises up judges to keep his people righteous in that time. These judges would, would then help keep the people accountable to, to what they were doing. Then he raises up kings to lead his people. You see in 1 Samuel 9, King Saul was appointed the first king, right? And he was chosen by God for that. And then you see he speaks to the prophets to warn and direct his people in Jeremiah 25. God has a long history with his people. God has long even suffering with his people. Generations upon generations upon generations of Israelites have walked with God, have fallen away with God, have come back to God, have walked with God, have fallen away from God, have come back to God. This cycle happens over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. 
And when we're talking about the prophets, this last bit, one of the things that they do is they lead God's people. They speak on behalf of God. And one of the things that happens in the Old Testament is you have a people of God constantly looking ahead because they are anticipating what God will do next. They're looking ahead and say, okay, God has done this so far. What is he about to do? And God doesn't shy away from that. He actually leans into it. And one of the ways that he leans into it is this. He gives the promises and the prophecies to the people, especially the promise and the prophecy of the Messiah. Especially the promise of the Messiah. You see, the people of Israel for so long were looking ahead and saying, God, when will you get us out of this mess? God, what is your answer for all the things that we've been going through? And many times throughout the Old Testament, you see these prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, a savior who will liberate his people, who will bring a new kingdom, a new government, uh, a new nation, right? And he will glorify his people. We, we see that promise throughout scripture. And I just want to land in a couple of places this morning as we see that, as we get ready to, to move through into the Christmas story. And the first place I want to go to is Isaiah chapter nine. So if you have your Bibles, would you please open them up to Isaiah chapter nine? We're going to start in verse two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them this light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to molt, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. These are powerful words from the prophet Isaiah. He's saying there, there is a time where God will give us this, this great and mighty Messiah, this savior. The, the, gover the very government that we hold will be upon his shoulders. He will be called what? Do you see that? If you go back on the, uh, I think verse six, he'll be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. These are the names that he says, this is what the, the how, how do you identify the Messiah? By these names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You see, this prophecy wasn't just some run of the mill prophecy. This is, this is what the, the Israelites hedged 
their lives upon, their, their hope upon. That This is what they would wake up talking about. This is what they would go to bed thinking about. This was a prophecy that promised their future of their sons and their daughters and their, and their grandchildren and their people forever. They had a great hope that God would do something that they could not. And the reason is, is because if you look back through the history of the Israelite people, what you see is time and time again, we're walking with God, we're walking away from God. We get captured, we get enslaved. We're walking with God, we're walking away from God. We get captured, we get enslaved. There's, they don't get to write their own story a lot of times. They're looking at their life and they're saying, God, where are you? This keeps happening. We keep walking through the muck. We keep walking through this difficulty. Why is this continuing to happen? What we know and what we see is this prophecy is not just some haphazard words to give hope. This prophecy is one that allows a great hope for a people to walk in. If you go to the next slide, uh, we see here, it was no ordinary prophecy. It was a promise that gave hope to an oppressed and belittled people throughout history. This wasn't just some ordinary promise like, hey, I'll take you to the movies this week. Or, hey, we'll do this next week. Or, hey, I'll make sure it's taken care of. No, every detail God has said, I have this taken care of. This is what I have for you. This is the future I have. If we switch over to the end of the Old Testament in Malachi 4, we see another type of prophecy and here's what it says in Malachi chapter four. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of other destruction. Not only were the people of God promised the Messiah and a freedom unlike what they had known, they were sure, they were sure that it was happening soon. They were sure of it. If you look back in Malachi 4, it says, behold, the day is coming. The day that is coming, they're, they're speaking of this with like imminence, like this is upon us. This is about to happen. This, this day that, that God says is promised, where the children will turn their hearts to the fathers, fathers turn their hearts to the children, and even the prophet Elijah will descend upon us. This day is coming soon. This day of the Lord is coming soon. So they were, they were looking at the promises of God of old, right, in Isaiah. They were looking at Malachi's words and they were like, all right. It's coming. The, the thing that we have waited so long for in anticipation is coming. 
I don't know about you, but for me, like the only time I really get anticipation right now, uh, not now, but when I was a kid, it was Christmas, right? Like I knew like, oh, this day's coming. I'm, I'm so excited, right? That was until I like snuck in and found some presents and then opened them and then rewrapped them. But n- neither here nor there, that happens as a kid, but there is an anticipation of the people of Israel that God is about to do something. This culmination of justice and promises and God's guidance resulted in silence. Silence. Absolute, complete, alone in the dark, deafening silence. I debated how long to stay in silence in this moment. Silence. What do you do with that? What do do the people of Israel do with silence? And this wasn't like God didn't speak for a week. This wasn't like I haven't heard God's voice for a year. This was generations upon generations upon generations upon generations, 400 years of silence. God doesn't say anything. If we're honest, I think all of us could look at a time in our lives where we could say, I feel that. I understand that. Time for us, uh, if you, you don't know our story, maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't. We lived in Memphis from 2014, well, 2012 to 2017. And in 2016, uh, we got two, two of our kids out of foster care um, in 2016. And in that time, there was like a, a year there where we had to do all like the, all the court stuff, all the processing stuff to, to be able to adopt our kids. And after that year, we were like green light, ready to go. Everything was done. Everything was ready. And we went to adopt our kids and there was a holdup in some of the paperwork that, um, that we didn't see before. And when we saw it, we were like, okay, well, we got to fix this. Five years. We spent five years on the line saying, this is what we want to do. Um, God's got to do it. We got to figure this out. How, how, how does this work? We were in uh, one court setting and they said, no, you can't do this. And so then we appealed with another court and they were like, okay, uh, maybe. So then we sat for months and months and months and then heard back Yes, you can do this. So then it got appealed again. And then we were told, no, you can't do this from another court. And then finally, after four years, we finally took it to like the highest court that we could take it before the Supreme Court in Tennessee. We said, here's what we're trying to do. Here's what we're trying to get fixed. Can't like, can you do it? We heard the arguments from both sets of uh, lawyers and the thing. And we waited. From that point forward, we waited 18 more months. Nothing. Silence. In my head and in my heart, I knew 
I know that God had called me to be the dad to Marcus and Shayla. I know that God had called Audrey and I to be mom and dad. But man, I'm telling you what, in that silence, you start to wonder, God, where are you? What, what are you doing in this? I thought you were in this and like, where I'm, I need you. I'm crying out to you. I I followed you to this point. Like you've made it clear. God made it crystal clear that we were supposed to be a family. And here we are just in silence. Like why? God, why would you give me this? Why would I live in this? Why can't this like be fixed? Why can't this be healed? Why can't this come to a a level of reconciliation and culmination? God, why am I having to sit here and why aren't you saying anything? The inevitable question of silence is this, where are you God and why have you left me? Can I give you a small caveat as well of what I've learned on the backside of silence? Maybe putting the cart before the horse here. But in silence, that's where, you, that's where you actually know and see what you actually believe about God. In silence. In silence, in those moments where you sit and you go, where are you in this? Why am I in this? Why have you brought me to this place and you're nowhere to be found? Walk in those seasons long enough and you actually figure out what you believe about God in those moments, in those moments. So what was happening during those 400 years? 400 years, no prophets, no kings, no written scripture, none of that. It was non-existent. God was silent. So was nothing happening with the people of Israel? Quite the contrary. In 333 BC, Israel fell to the Greeks. In 323 BC, it fell to the Egyptians. Then Antiochus of Great, Great of Syria captured Israel in 204 BC and then demolished Jewish law and the priesthood practices. Oh, it gets worse. Keep going. His successor, Antiochus Epiphanes, persecuted the Jews and in 171 BC, he desecrated the Holy of Holies, meaning he entered into it in an unholy and unclean way and absolutely desecrated it. Which then like certain Jews at the time were just absolutely appalled. And you see that Judas Maccabeus led the Maccabean revolt, which was a violent uprising and then recaptured Jerusalem. The fighting continued on and on and on until the Romans gained gained control of Israel in 63 BC. In 47 BC, Caesar appointed Antipater as procurator of Judah and then Antipater's son, Herod, was appointed king. So during this 400 years, it wasn't like the Jewish people were just hanging out and like, if we're not hearing from God, that's fine. We're cool, We're we're just waiting. No, things, Things were bad. They, they didn't just get defeated once or twice, but on and on and on again. Everything that they had built any faith in, any, any idea of who they were had been demolished, desecrated, defiled. 
And yet in the middle of it, there was still silence. If we're not careful, a lot of times silence can lead to hopelessness. And when we live in hopelessness, we, we forget the actual character of God. Because the character of God actually shows us this, that our God doesn't shield us from the darkness of silence, but he actually ensures us that we're not abandoned in it. This is the Christmas story. We're not shielded from seasons of silence. Wondering, God, where are you and what are you doing? We're, we're not exempt from that. We don't get to parade around and say that, hey, we have it all figured out. We have a direct and absolute clear understanding and voice always that's leading us, guiding us, whatever. We don't always get that. We have seasons and moments of silence. But we're assured that because of God's character, that we're not abandoned in it. That's where the Christmas story picks up. Luke 1, chapter 13, this is the angel talking to Zechariah. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice in his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Any of that any of that makes sense from what, what we read in Malachi? If you go on to the next thing, I've got a couple things underlined that you can see. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of who? Elijah, right? To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Malachi 4, let's go back to it. Malachi 4, 4 through 5, what does it say? I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Later in that verse, it also say, says that he will do what? He will turn the hearts of children to their fathers, right? Back in Luke 1, John says this, the people prepared it will turn the hearts, their children, back to their fathers. This is God's declaration to his people. He is saying, I haven't forgotten. I still have a plan. I am right here. I've been here the whole time. And just to let you know, the very first things I'm going to tell you is this. That there is one who is coming to prepare the way so that the hearts would be turned to their children. And the people would be prepared to receive him. Another section of verses in Matthew 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 23. This is the a angel Gabriel talking to Joseph. And he said, you'll know this for behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a direct link from Isaiah chapter seven, where King Ahaz is asking for a son and God gives him a son and says, this will happen. 
Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't it interesting that the very question that we all ask in silence, God, where are you? God, are you in this? Why aren't you here? Is the very name he gives himself to answer those questions. What shall he be called? He shall be called God with us. He shall be called God with us. That means God with us in uh, our addictions, God with us in our divorce, uh, God with us in the death of a friend or a family member, God with us when we are barely scratching by and we don't know uh, how we're going to make this month's rent, God with us when we fail out of school, God with us when we are ashamed of what we've done, like God is with us. In the silence, in the loudness, in every instance of life, God is with us. Matthew Henry says this, by the light of nature, we see God as God above us. By the light of the law, we see him as God against us. But by the light of the gospel, we see him as Emmanuel, God with us. Do you want to know why you can have hope, why you can convince your heart this morning to be in a place of joy where you can walk away in this place lighter than when you came? Because you have a God who created all of this and yet he is with you through everything. It's the single greatest uh, honestly like difference between uh, the, the belief system set about following Jesus and the belief system set about following any other um, religion or God period. All other religions, all other spaces are all about what is it that I have to do God to be able to come to you? What is it that I have to do to be good enough to, to, to have fellowship with you, to be with you forever? What God tells us is there's nothing that you can do. And because of it, I'm going to take the first step. I'm going to become Emmanuel, God with you. You can't take that first step. Only God can. Something to remember here. When darkness tries to envelop us, God's presence serves as the emphatic response. God's presence serves as the emphatic response. When you're overwhelmed with this darkness of silence, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why I'm in this place? Just know that God's emphatic response may not be a word, but God's emphatic response is, I am a God who, who swears, who promises to be with you no matter what. He will not forsake or abandon you. He is with us. It's really funny. So in, in, in the New Testament, in the four gospels, you have different accounts of, uh, different accounts of the story, right? 
of the first Christmas story. A lot of people go to Luke. Uh, a lot of people uh, get things from Matthew as well. Almost nobody preaches from John on Christmas. And the reason is, is because it doesn't have a traditional like Christmas narrative, right? There, it doesn't talk about uh, when Mary and Joseph fled to Bethlehem and there was no room for them. So the baby born in a manger and the shepherds and the wise men and all those things. It doesn't, it doesn't say anything about that. But what it does say is really interesting. And I think actually, if we, if we don't look at it, we miss part of what God's trying to tell us in the story of Christmas. We miss part of what God is trying to do when he's trying to walk us out of darkness of silence and walk us into the light of presence. John 1, 1 starts like this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, not, not anything made that was made. And it's my favorite part. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. What do we do with the darkness of silence? We allow Emmanuel, God with us, to light up that darkness. You see, so many times I think we're convinced that it is this like power struggle between darkness and light. Maybe it's because we've watched Star Wars too many times, right? Like there's this like equal good or bad. No, let's be convinced, church, this morning, be convinced. There is darkness, but the darkness has not overcome the light. The light of the world has overcome the darkness then, now, and forevermore. And if you want to walk in the light of presence of who God is, you can walk out of this door claiming that you know, that you know, that you know, that God is for you, he is with you, and there is nothing that can overcome him. Amen? Amen. There is nothing greater than the power of God. Why can we celebrate this season with hope and purpose and faith and peace? We can celebrate because the light of God's presence cannot be overcome by the darkness of the world. It cannot be overcome by the darkness of the world. As we close and I invite the band up, I just, I want you to ask the question this morning. Where are you and where's your heart? Have you been convinced because of the silence that God is nowhere near you? That God doesn't see you, that God is not with you. If that's you today, I just, I just want to tell you from scripture, from what we've seen, God is here. God is in this place. He is the creator of all things. And yet he desires and, and wants and has done everything needed for you to be in a relationship with him. If you're convinced by the power of the darkness, if you're convinced that things are not going to get better, friend, I promise you, the Christmas story is for you because it's one where God does everything necessary to come down to his people and arrive and say, God with you. Maybe today you're, you're super excited about Christmas. You're super excited. You know that 
you know that you have this unspeakable hope and joy and you just can't, you just don't know how to put your finger on it. Just every year something happens in your heart or in your soul. And you go, man, I don't know, I don't know what this is, but man, I feel so good around this season. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Name it. Name it. That feeling you have, that Christmas spirit that we all catch this time of the year. I believe no doubt that comes straight from the Lord and the hope that he gives. Name that. Don't walk away this Christmas without naming that and seeing that as God's great faithfulness to us. God's great gift of his son to us. You are not alone, brothers and sisters. You are not alone. It may be dark, the the silence may be deafening, but God is here. God is with you. God will be with you forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please don't let our circumstances decide what we know and think about you, God. Allow our hearts and our minds to look into your word. Allow our hearts to be shaped by the words of who you are, by by the history that you've walked in with your people, by the character that we've seen through scripture, God. Let let us not uh, fall away or, or doubt because of our current circumstance or our current silence that we're experiencing, God. But Father, I pray that you would allow us to walk with true understanding in the light of your presence, that wherever we go, you are there with us. God, that we can, we can sum up the Christmas story in three words, God with us. I pray as we walk out of this place today, as we, as we walk into a time of response, God, that you would lay on our hearts just the understanding that you are faithful. Time, nor space, nor events, nor anything can prove your unfaithfulness. God, you are faithful. What you say, you will do. And what you've done, Lord, is all that we need. And so, God, I just I bring you my heart. I bring the heart of this church today, God. I pray that we, in response, God, that we would lift you up so high. We would realize that the reason of this, this feeling of joy, of hope, of, of gratitude, God, comes directly from who you are. Not by anything that we can do. All by what you've done. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to respond. We'll have prayer counselors here at the front. This is your chance to say, God, I know you're with me. No matter what, no matter the silence, no matter the darkness, God, you are with me. And I claim that this morning. Let's sing together. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.